right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. That. You don't got time that. Right? Let's go. Break it. Break it. Let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Nick Schwert and Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Is it too early to fire up? The transfer portal or to open up. I don't know if you open it or you fire it up or if you turn it on. Is it too early to start taking trips into the transfer portal? I and don't for think Kansas, I don't think it is. Ever too early. I mean, we could be in the middle of the season. No, I think that's too early. No, I disagree. I mean, we've seen midseason transfers before. Sam Cunliffe. Yeah, but he didn't start playing that season. So it doesn't really help you in the, in the here and now. It's still interesting. Like, we've not seen Kansas play basketball since Monday. We won't see them play basketball for months, but by the time they do, the transfer portal will have come and gone. Oh, that's sad to think about. You won't see them play basketball for seven and a half months? This is the first time you started thinking about that? Hmm. I mean, when you actually put, like, a timeline to it. Would you rather the season be the way it currently is, and it started late this year, but, you know, let's just say... It's usually two months, three months. If you, you know, two months plus the NCAA or four months. Gosh, I am so bad at math. Like just simple counting. I, you know what I was doing in my head? I was going November, December, January, February. That's two. (laughs) I don't get it. I don't feel like I'm a dumb person, but whenever numbers get involved, okay. Four months plus the NCAA tournament. Would you rather be like that, which is, all things considered a short season. Or would you rather the games be spaced out more, but we get basketball from like August to June? How about October? October to June. That's too long. October to May. Now I'm into it. May okay. Madness. There we go. So you would have maybe you play five games months of, of regular season mm-hmm. or th- six months of regular season. The off season's what kills us, man. The off season's what is so brutal. It should be like golf. You hate that golf doesn't have an off season. It's perfect. Just I take never one week off. I never miss it. One you know? week. That's all they ask. Well, they kind of do. It's a break in between. They kind of do. No, they don't. Like it's like basically no. the first couple it's a months. Circle. The first never couple ends. months of the season are basically like the summer league where the real pros aren't playing. It's the time for the rookies and the and the kids who are looking to make a name for themselves. It's it's their time to shine. That's what golf basically has. The NBA has it as well. Like the NBA is a very short off season as well. You you go through the season. Right after that, you have the draft. Right after that, it's summer league, and then boom, time to play basketball. Why can't college basketball be more like that? So we need a summer league for college basketball. Yeah, I'm not even asking them to play more games. I'm just asking for the season to be stretched out. That way, we have less time to talk about baseball all summer. I mean, I'm fine talking about baseball, but it, the, what sucks about baseball is it's the only thing going on for months on end. It's like, is there anything else? Just give me something. And there's not. I think we'd fire up the transfer portal today because now the KU season is over, that's what they're doing. Bill Self, coaching staff, 
pounding the pavement, trying to go out there and find pieces they can add to next year's team. Let's go. Let's go. I'm done waiting. March 24th, time to fire up the transfer portal. There is portal. a fifth dimension beyond that which is known to the average basketball fan. It is a dimension as large as Wilt and as timeless as Perry Ellis. It is the middle ground between staying and leaving, between wins and losses, and it lies between the pit of recruiting and entrance to the NBA. This is the dimension of new schools. It is an area which we call the transfer portal. I just realized we didn't even have a transfer portal last year because of COVID. Mm. We did not fire up the transfer portal, but we're firing it up in full force because I think KU is going to be hashtag active. We can almost do this like legitimately every day with how many guys are going to be in the transfer portal this year. Just in general. It's going to be the most robust transfer market that we've ever seen. No question about it. First things first. We talked about him a little bit yesterday. Jesse Newell's the one who dropped a little nugget about a week and a half ago. Jeff Goodman reporting today. Northeastern guard Tyson Walker told Stadium he will make a decision this weekend between Maryland, Michigan State, Texas, Kansas, mm-hmm. Vanderbilt, and Miami. Averaged 19 points, five assists, two and a half steals. Was the conference defensive player of the year last season. Six foot, 162 pounds. Sophomore, so... He'll get an extra year of eligibility, so you could theoretically get him for three more years. I would guess at six foot, one hundred and sixty-two pounds, he will use as much of that time to stay in college as he possibly can. He shot thirty-five percent from three, but I went back and watched some of his highlights. A lot of those threes are off the dribble. A lot of them are him creating his own shots. C.J. Moore told me that he shot thirty-nine percent on catch and shoot opportunities, which he'll get way more of at Kansas than he did at Northeastern, where. They're basically rolling the ball to you and saying, go do what you want. And off the dribble, very impressive. He is shifty. He is quick. He's got really tight handles. He's a really good passer. He can create his own shot. He is a playmaker. He is everything I feel like this staff would want to add next year. Tyson Walker, for me, don't know if they're going to get him, but we know they've reached out. They're making a play. He's on the list, and he's going to make a decision this weekend. So that is for me, and this is including any potential recruits that are out there, which I know we'll talk about at some point. Tyson Walker is the number one priority if I'm Bill Self. I would rather have a guy who is or has proven himself at the college level than a a high school recruit. Wait, even over Marcus Carr? I'm sold on this guy. Even over Marcus Carr? Yes. You sure? Why are you looking at me like that? I don't know, because Marcus Carr's really, really good. Tyson and Walker's really good. It, but with Marcus Carr, he proved it. Well, we don't even 10. know if we don't even do we even no, know we don't. that, we don't that know Kansas is in on no. him or that he would be interested. No. In I, I don't even know that I disagree with you, but it's not because I like if it was all about this year, then yes, give me Marcus Carr. But you get three years out of Tyson Walker, like you said. That's the thing. And with Marcus Carr, you only get the one. That's the thing, man. Um I want a guy that you're going to be able to have for a couple years. It's just nice stability to have the point guard spot sort of locked up for years down the line. It's a really nice feeling to have. Think about how steady KU was from 2016 
to 2020. It's five seasons where you had you know, two years of Frank, two years of Devontae, two years of Devon. That's two. That's six seasons. Excuse me. Well, no, because I think some of the Frank and Devontae ones overlapped. So it's still five. Oh, yeah. I guess Devontae only had one year where it was he was the primary ball handler. Yeah, five seasons. It's just nice to have stability at that spot. Then this year, a little bit shaky. You said you could sign me up for this guy for three years, who's a great great at penetrating, scoring off the dribble, creating his own shot, knocking down threes, facilitating to others. What's not to like? He was the conference defensive player of the year. Like, yeah, maybe he's not going to be a lockdown defender, but you average two and a half steals per game. I watched, I watched his highlight videos. Like I said, there's not much that I looked at and said, oh, but that won't translate. You know, right? You were in the colonial. Things are going to be a little bit different with the change in competition, but like the the ability to put the ball in the deck and go get your own shot, like that, that yeah. sort of translates. Yeah, I mean, you can point to success stories and negative ones. Like you look at a guy like Adam Flagler, or Baylor. He was averaging, I think, like twenty a game at I want to say Presbyterian. Comes over and he's not playing as much because he's behind other guards, but certainly he's made an impact when he's on the court. You can look at some of the guys UNC had last year and it didn't work out, but then you can look at the positives. And you have, I mentioned uh, Damian Lee, who went from Drexel, which mm-hmm. is the CAA school, to Louisville and led the team in scoring a year that they had a postseason ban. Um, Louisville this year had uh, that Carleek Jones guy who averaged 20-something points per game at, I want to say, Radford, comes over and he's the best player on Louisville. So, yes, you could be skeptical of the idea that, oh, is this player coming from this mid-major conference really going to come over and be your best player? You know, maybe. And maybe that is an indictment on the other talent on the team, so maybe you don't want that. But I think there is enough proof to say that, yes, it does work. Yeah, I think so, too. Like, the other name that's out there that's not a transfer, um, well, first off, there is another transfer, Brandon McKissick, who is from UMKC. He would be a grad transfer, essentially, because he's already played four seasons. So I don't even know how that works because you are a senior, but you get the extra year of eligibility. So is there no such thing as grad transfers this year? Right? Hmm. I mean, even Mitch Lightfoot, who's been here for five years, he gets an extra year of eligibility. So I guess grad transfers just for this season don't mean anything. So theoretically, Mitch could grad transfer after next year. As you say, can you be two more years then? Yeah, I guess. If I'm reading that correctly. So anyway, this guy's a senior. And he was also the conference defensive player of the year. He is more of a, he's more of a combo guard, 6'3", 195 pounds. He averaged 17 points per game, four rebounds, three assists. So less of a prototypical facilitator, but he did shoot 43% from three and is a 39% three-point shooter for his career. And he released a, a list of potential suitors. His list is very long. K-State's in on him. A lot of teams are in on him. But he would be another guy that I think Kansas is going after. There is going to be no shortage of guys they're going to try and... Like, I feel like there's going to be major change-ups coming to the roster. I kind of expect Tristan and Aruna to be gone, and I kind of expect Tyon Grant Foster to be gone. I have no idea about guys who are going to test the waters, but we know some are going to. I still... I expect everybody that was in the rotation to be back. Aside from Marcus, obviously. I expect Ochai and Jalen and Dave to all be back whether or not they test the waters. But aside from that, I mean, Dwan's going to be back. Christian Brown's going to be back. Anybody who didn't play a significant role on this team, 
I think you have to look at them as their status being up in the air. You could sort of tell based off his comments after the game. Bill Self didn't just think about that for the first time on Monday night when he said, we got to get we got to get longer, we got to get more athletic. Wasn't the first time that thought crossed his mind this year. Conversations are probably being had this week about guys' futures. And I'm sure there are guys like, like Tyon and Tristan, you have to just look at it and say, what's my path forward for playing time? Which is funny, though, because those are the guys that you would lean to if you said we need to get longer and more athletic. Right. You have length and athleticism, but... It's not the right kind of length and athleticism. Okay, see, I that's think, tougher okay, to wait. get, though. That, that, that's tougher to get. I think we're talking about two different things here, yeah, right? So so I think how I would interpret that quote when Bill Self— the length thing is different. When Bill Self says athleticism, how do you view that? Because I don't view when he, when Bill Self says we need to be athletic, I don't view that as him saying we need the— like, of course, we'd love to have the six-foot-seven wing who can dunk on everybody. Yeah. That is athleticism. But when he says athleticism, I don't think he means that traditional way you're thinking of it where it's Andrew Wiggins. I think he means, like, Frank Mason. Can you beat somebody up the dribble? Yes. Both guys who were quick with the basketball. You know, they were athletic Mm -hmm. in in the terms that I think he means here. So, this Tyson Walker guy, for instance, you know, he's six foot, 160 pounds. You're going, what do you mean, more athletic? But that's, I think, what he means. A quick scat kind of guard who can... Like you said, beat a guy off the dribble, shake him off. It's so odd the way you talk about different programs. I want to get into this coming up on the other side. In football, with KU football, what do we say? Go get high school guys, stay away from transfers. Need four-year guys. That's a program that's trying to rebuild. Is it actually the opposite with the, <laughs> the, the, the place that Kansas finds themselves in right now? We'll talk about that. Coming up next, Jesse Newell going to join the show. Coming up here in 15 minutes, this is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. You already know that if you need a car wash, you need to go to Tommy's Express Car Wash. They've got all the tools and expertise to keep your car clean, both inside and on the outside. You want it clean inside, because if anybody gets in your car, they're not going to want it look like a pigsty. Plus, you're going to want it clean of all those germs. You want to clean on the outside, because if you're going to be pulling up in somebody's neighborhood, maybe going to see a friend, they're going to see the outside of your car and go, wow. This guy, he knows what he's doing with his car washes. That's because Tommy's Express Car Wash is going to take care of you. Their wash packages let you pay for the services you want, including Tommy Guard and Body Wax. That's right. Have it looking real spiffy. Wheel cleaning and tire gloss, underbody flush, and spot-free rinse and vacuums as well. If you're like me, you have a dog, I have a golden retriever, she sheds so much. So I need the vacuums at Tommy's Express Car Wash, and boy, do they have them. They do them right. That's wash, rinse, repeat with Tommy's Express Car Wash. And don't forget to download the Tommy Club app today and enjoy endless washing for one low price. That's at Tommy's Express Car Wash. We'll talk about this with Jesse Newell, Kansas City Star. He'll join us a little over 10 minutes from now. I don't know if Tyson Walker, the point guard from Northeastern, is KU's number one target. I know that they are in the mix for him and that they're probably very interested. But I don't know if he's their top target because there's another name out there that will probably get people more excited just because he's a prospect. Ty Ty Washington. Did we talk about this guy last week? I feel like we may have. I think he got brought up. So, Ty Ty Washington, which is just like, you know, Ty Ty. You know, just... I, I, I'm not going to say anything more. <laughs> so, he 
is a fringe top 30 recruit in the country. He had previously committed to Creighton, and then Creighton's head coach, Greg McDermott, decided to make a pretty racist remark after one of Creighton's losses when he said that he asked all the players to come back to the plantation with him. What message were you even trying to convey with that, you know? So Ty Ty Washington immediately decommits. He didn't say that was why, but, I mean, kind of an odd time to decommit, right? Odd timing. So, he's on the market. KU has reached out. And according to Eric Bossi, who is the lead recruiting analyst for 24-7 Sports, here's what he has to say about Washington, who is from Phoenix, Arizona. He shoots from deep, he's crafty with the ball, and he's a flat-out competitor who's going to be in the conversation for five-star status. Arizona, Illinois, Kansas, Kentucky, Maryland, UCLA, Washington State, and many others have looked to get involved. When he initially decided, Washington picked Creighton over Illinois, so they'll likely be a factor. From intel coming in from coaches looking to get involved, though, early word is that perhaps Bill Self and the Jayhawks have put themselves in the best position which would be huge for them given their need to sign a point guard this spring. So, perhaps KU is in the lead for Ty Ty Washington. 24-7 Sports has him as the 31st-ranked player in the country and the 4th-ranked point guard. He is 6'3". He is 185 pounds. I have no clue whether or not he'd be legit one and done. I mean, if you're, you're fringe top 30, that's certainly not a slam dunk. One and done. Seems more like a two and done, you know. Yeah, and Bryce Thompson could be here for four years for all we know, right? And that's about. I will the range say, usually it seems like point guards get rated lower than they should be, and big men get rated higher than they should be on the rankings. Like Cade Cunningham, everybody knowing coming into the year was like he's going to be the number one pick, yet he was like the fifth rated recruit. Yeah, it's a little bit different too when you're six seven. Like this guy's six three. I don't know. He's not six foot like Tyson Walker. Like that's why you know Tyson Walker is going to be here until his eligibility is exhausted in all likelihood. Six three, a little bit different. It's kind of weird talking about this because you know we talk about KU football. We're like stay away from the transfers. Go get four year high school players. With where Kansas currently finds themselves in, I think you want a guy who helps you immediately. Or helps you the most immediately, and that's not to say that it's it's you know obvious that the transfer Tyson Walker will help you more right now than Ty Ty Washington would, but he was the conference defensive player of the year. He averaged 19 points per game. He we already know he can stroke at 39 percent in spot up opportunities, 35 percent overall from three. And he's proven he can do it at the college level. And that's the big one for me. He's proven he can do it at the college level. And it's not to say this kid can't. But in terms of going and getting your own shot and being a playmaker and being a shot creator, he has proven. And the tape looks really damn good on that kid. If I were Kansas, I would put Walker ahead of Washington on my list of priorities. More than that, the kid's going to make an announcement this weekend, Right? And you want to take whatever you can get at that point. You don't say no to a kid now, hoping that you get a different kid later. Maybe they feel better about one of those guys than the other, and if so, I'm sure they're going to let that dictate their decisions. But I doubt you're getting both of them because they're both point guards, and I'm assuming they both want to go somewhere and be the starter. You could try and pitch them on the idea of, hey, we want two ball handlers on the court, but Bryce Thompson's still on the roster. 
Dwan Harris is still on the roster. That's it gets pretty crowded quickly, right? You you add one guy and all of a sudden it feels like oh, that's a perfect mix of depth. You had a second guy, then all of a sudden it seems like ah, some guys are starting to wonder, am I going to stick around because I'm not going to be the fifth guard, right? So I don't know. I don't know where that line is, and I don't know how many spots they're going to have available because as of right now, they don't have any. They're at their full scholarship allotment. So guys are going to have to transfer, and I think guys will transfer. But if it does get to the point where, hey, only one guy's leaving, and only got one spot, personally, I would make Walker my top choice. But it doesn't actually work like that. No. Those kids decide what choice they should be. Yeah. If you feel better about Washington and his chances of picking Kansas, then maybe you back off Walker a little bit and say, well, we know this guy's going to choose us, so let's not make this too complicated. Yeah, and I mean, there's going to be more transfers into the portal, and and you don't want to just sit back and wait, but what if this is too early? And like you said, you're not just waiting on Ty Ty Washington. What if you're waiting on another guy who's a lead guard? What if you're waiting on Marcus Carr? What if you're waiting on somebody else? Or like I said, what if there is another guy that that pops up? So I'm kind of wondering if the fact that he's committing this weekend kind of makes me think that it might not be in the cards for KU. I don't know. I mean, I'm looking at the other teams that he's considering. I mean, he could go to any of them. Like, it, like Vanderbilt doesn't stick out to you, but Jerry Stackhouse. Guy. Yeah, go yeah. to Jerry Stackhouse, NBA Connections, whatever. If you're just looking for notoriety, get noticed, Kansas is as, as good as it gets. But Michigan State's on there as well. Texas is on there as well. Those teams are going to play a lot of nationally televised games. And you're going to have opportunities to play a lot. But you don't know what guys' motivations are. Is it more about playing professionally? Is it more about just getting noticed? Is it about competing for a national championship? Kansas is going to be up near the top in all of those lists. Kansas does have an infractions case hanging over their head that none of the other schools on this list do. But, I mean, if you're interested to this point, would make me think that that's not a total deal breaker for you, but it could be ultimately a deciding factor. So you said that maybe they should lean toward what's going to help you the most now. If that's the case, I think you do go to maybe like Marcus Carr. And again, like we don't know if he's even on their list or if he's interested. The way I view this is the reason I would go Tyson Walker first is because I think to me he's the best long term play. Like with Ty Ty Walker, if you said, okay, well, we're going to get a borderline five star point guard and he's going to stay all four years, he's going to stay through his junior year, then sure, you probably yeah, take that. But, but what are the chances that. that's going right. to happen? Exactly. Exactly. And with Walker, you're going to get three years mm-hmm. if you want to. Right. So, hypothetically, let's say there's a postseason ban this year. Let's say there's even a two-year postseason ban for KU. Well, you still know out at the other end, you still have Tyson, uh, Tyson Walker as, mm-hmm. at that point a senior. You know, if you get a one- or two-year postseason ban with Ty Ty Walker— might not ever matter. Might not ever matter, at least in terms of competing for a national title and making it to March Madness. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, it's fun to think about what if you could get both of them, right? Play them next week, one If another. you get both of them, that would mean that somebody we didn't think was going to transfer transferred. Right? Yeah. Like, yeah. that would mean Bryce Thompson or Christian Brown or, or, somebody, or Ochai goes pro. Yeah, you know? exactly. Because at that point, that means you're going to have to push Bryce Thompson to basically being a wing. And if he's becoming a wing, then now one of those other wings lost minutes. But if Ochai goes pro, I guess that opens it up. What if somebody else leaves? What if Jalen Wilson leaves? Well, that's possible. 
What if? Play Ochai at the four. What if Dave goes to the combine and wrecks it? I don't think that would impact it. Literally, he center. gets there and he just like breaks everything. He's just like running into <laughs> machines and he knocks over that. Very st- possible. He knocks over that that vertical mm-hmm. jump stick. He breaks the stick. Yeah, and then they're just like, God, this guy is a wrecking ball. We could use that. I don't know how, but we'll figure it out after we draft him. All right, let's talk more about this. What's coming next for KU with Jesse Newell, Kansas City Star. KU could have some news coming down in the coming days later this weekend on potential roster changes. We don't know what's going to happen with Marcus Garrett, but we do know Bill Self, based on his comments after the game on Saturday, going to go out, hit the recruiting trail, and find, try and find some pieces to infuse this team for next year. Let's talk about it with Jesse Newell of the Kansas City Star. Jesse, whether this is sort of big picture, something that stood out to you all year, or whether it was something that made itself more obvious in that loss on Monday night. When Bill Self and this staff are putting together a wish list for this offseason, what do you think is at the top of that list? Well, you know, I think Bill Self talked about it after the game. He talked about the athleticism. And this listen, it was a topic of conversation all year for Kansas. I think the issue for for Bill in that particular regard is for one, it's basically lining up exactly with the opponent you played. I mean, it's easy to say that you need athleticism when you play the number two pick in the draft. You know, like, um, it's tough for any team to have the athleticism of an Evan Mobley in there, so it's going to be pretty glaring when, when KU plays that. But the second problem is just basically um, recruiting in general for Kansas at the moment. You know, we all understand what's going on with the Jayhawks. Bill Self talk openly about it, how the NCAA case that continues to them has hurt them with recruiting and no potential postseason ban that could be coming. So when Bill Self has brought in the athletic freaks, uh, you know, to to the Jayhawks, a lot of times it's been those one and done types. I mean, it's been the Kelly Oubre's and the Andrew Wiggins and um, Josh Jackson's. I mean, those are not guys that you're picking off the bottom of the you know, rivals top 200, those are guys that are the elite of the elite. And those are the same sorts of guys that KU's had trouble recruiting here in the last years based off of the NCAA case and all that's come with it. So um, I think that's obviously something. But, uh, you know, more to your point, this year, if you take a step back and take those comments out of it, KU, what it was missing was a playmaking point guard. I mean, let's just be honest about it. You know, Devon Dawson last year, Sharon Collins before that, Tyshawn Taylor. Um, KU's always had in its best years that type of guard who could create for himself and create for others. And, you know, Shotclock's running down 8-9-7, can go make a play on his own and get, get a basket in a tough time. And KU didn't have that this year. You know, Marcus Garrett was trying to play point guard. It was kind of the imperfect fit for the roster. He actually played pretty well late when Dewan Harris took on a greater role, and he kind of showed some of those skills, even though he's not a true, complete point guard, and, and that he's not a scorer or, or really a shooter, um, even though he made some of them down the stretch. But if KU can get a guy like that, obviously it would not only open things up for KU's offense, but they have spot-up shooting guys on the roster that sort of suffered because guys couldn't get them the ball. Uh, in a position where they could score. You know, Ochai Abaji and Christian Brown would really benefit from a guy who could drive the lane, kick it out, and get them open three. So those are kind of the two things I would look at, um, you, you know, for Kansas to go out there and, and look at recruiting. But like I said, the first one's going to be a little bit tougher. The second one might be more readily available. Yeah, the first one I feel like is – well, it's, it's tougher because, yeah, as you mentioned, those are just harder to come by. But I do think whether or not – I mean, not knowing who would leave this team and – What's going to happen with Marcus Garrett? I don't think he's he's coming back next year. But I think that the idea that 
you're going to make a big jump from one year to the next, right? That, okay, 2020 was a contending year. This year, not so much. Let's get back to that next season. If you don't get one of those pieces, isn't it kind of tough to imagine this team taking a big step forward next year? Um, yeah, if you don't get either of them, for sure. I mean, it's, it's sort of difficult because, I think we talked about this a lot, Nick. For this Kansas team, it feels like they're, and potentially next year's Kansas team, it feels like there are good pieces, and those pieces could improve a little bit, but, like, they need help. You know what I mean? Like, it's sort of what I spoke to about the Ochai and Christian point. It kind of reminds me of the Chiefs a little bit. You know, like, um, Tyreek Hill would be a good receiver at 29 other places or 31 other places in the NFL. He's an amazing receiver with Patrick Mahomes. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But if, if, if Tyreek Hill, his quarterback was, I don't know, um, you know, pick random normal quarterback, um, it, it might not look as good. Kirk Cousins. If it's Kirk Cousins, Tyreek Hill is not Tyreek Hill. I mean, that's just that's the reality situation. Patrick Mahomes brings out the best in him because he can throw the ball a zillion miles over those mountains over there, and that's exactly the skill set that Tyreek can work with because he can run really fast all over the field. And so that's sort of what I'm talking about, with, well, especially Christian and Ochai. Like, I was looking at the numbers for Ochai. I think his shooting numbers would surprise a lot of people. I looked it up. There's not many players. Um, I looked in the Big 12. Nobody shot more than 200 threes in the Big 12 except for Oshai Abasi, <laughs> okay, uh, this year. Uh, I think there was only eight or nine um, going back in time, and I think it was even going back to like 1991 in a college basketball references play index that had had over 200 threes taken in a season and made more than 37%. And that was a, a spot that Ochai Abaji was in. But, again, we understand by now what Ochai Abaji is. Can he add a little bit of wiggle to his game? Can he drive a little bit better? Yeah, maybe a little bit, but that's not what he's going to be who he is. He's going to be a spot-up shooter. So if KU can find a guy who can get in the lane, read a pick-and-roll, find the guy on the opposite corner, get open threes, get KU easier baskets, easier tries, it's going to go a long way. And like I said, Dawn Harris might be a little bit of hope with that because he sort of started to figure out toward the end of the season. He was making plays that nobody else on the roster was making by having basketball intelligence by, by reading pick and rolls, by seeing angles, by throwing lobs that other guys weren't throwing. So there might be some potential there, but, but yeah, that's sort of what I'm talking about here. So it's tough to get athleticism as we just talked about, but you know, uh, I think Bill Self naturally, it's only a human thing. You look at what the team that beat you had and what you didn't have. <laughs> I mean, it's very evident that, that KU didn't have athleticism and USC did. Now, listen, KU early in the season beat a Kentucky team without athleticism, or a Kentucky team when KU didn't have athleticism, and Kentucky did. So I'm sure Kentucky was looking the other way, like, man, wish they had some of KU skill players and some of KU scrappy guys. You know, you can win different ways in college basketball. The last loss is always going to resonate most. But I, I do think there's an opportunity for Kansas to get a couple guys that would make others better and make those pieces play up so that Tyreek Hill isn't Tyreek Hill with Kirk Cousins, Tyreek Hill is Tyreek Hill with Patrick Mahomes. And so um, that's sort of what I think you're looking at with Bill Self and the roster is trying to figure out how you can make all these pieces and the returning pieces a lot better than they were this year by giving them, um, uh, making it easier on them to be themselves and be very productive players, which I think with a few tweaks, that definitely could happen. How perfect is the timing with, you know, the changes in transfer rules and freedom of movement for KU dealing with, this infractions case, because if this were five years ago and KU were dealing with it, you'd 
kind of be stuck with what you got, right? Unless you were able to go out and, and pluck one of those top guys, which it's been tough for KU to do the last couple of cycles. You'd kind of be going into the offseason wondering, is, is this team going to get any better? But the timing of the transfer rules seems to be perfect for the spot that KU finds themselves in. Yeah, absolutely. There's some high major, or not high major, but what should be high major players next year, maybe from some lower conferences that are out there now that you figure are going to be immediately eligible um, with the one-time waiver rule. So that helps Kansas. I will say this about Bill Self. You just never count him out in these sorts of matters. Like, they always seem to find a way to find a piece. You know, I remember back, and this is kind of dating me here, but I remember back like when they got Kevin Young. And again, Kevin Young's not the type of player they'd be looking for to fill those roles that we just talked about. But like, nobody even knew who he was. Like, it's like this kid, he was like loyal and Marymount and then was like out of basketball and then was supposed to be at San Diego State. And then all of a sudden he was just like on KU's campus and was a, a pretty big contributor, leader, energy guy for Kansas. And it's like, where did KU find this guy? And um, I'm reminded of 2019 a lot. Uh, because if you remember, that was the same sort of thing. KU lost to Auburn, got ran out of the gym. Phil Self knew he needed to kind of overall the roster, and they were looking at things. And, uh, again, KU, the big additions they had that offseason where they kept Devon Dotson, they kept Udoka Zabuki, obviously led to you know, the great year last year before COVID knocked it out. But you take a piece like an Isaiah Moss, and that's the sort of thing, too. I mean, that was a transfer at the time, but that filled a nice role for Kansas. The Jayhawks needed to get more shooting, and it was pretty evident after the Auburn game that they – needed more shooting, and he provided that role for Kansas nicely. So this is a nice year to have that. Bill Self should have more options at his disposal. But I will say, like, this staff over time has gotten pretty creative in these situations and and dug under rocks I don't think people would have known existed at this point in time. So they always seem to find a way, but um, it is kind of fascinating at this point because uh, all the the roster spots are – quote, taken right now. And we all can assume that Kay's going to have at least two or three or four transfers out of this thing, but uh, there's obviously going to be a lot of moving parts this offseason, especially if Bill Self does indeed want to go and, and kind of have a major roster shakeup in this offseason. Yeah, let's imagine that there are, I mean, there are two guys I would look at right now, uh, Tristan Inaruna and Tyon Grant Foster, that I would probably peg as the most likely to leave. What do you think are the chances? You kind of just said it there. What do you think are the chances of there being at least two guys, maybe more, transferring out of the program? You almost expect that at this yeah, point? Yeah, and then I'll start. Yeah, I mean, I'll start with the, the caveat here is just, you know, this is a different year with COVID where everything's done on Zoom. And so, especially with those guys, it's, it's, it's really hard. You know, after every NCAA tournament loss, just to give a peek behind the curtain, like most reporters would go in the locker room talk to the players and that would be kind of the immediate thing is you would go find Tristan or you go find Tom Grant Foster, ask them about their future. They, they usually wouldn't say too much, but you could get maybe a little bit more sense of whether they were frustrated or not. This is, this is a little bit more flying blind. You know what I mean? Like, like we didn't really get to talk to those guys all year uh, other than a zoom session or two. And you know, Tom Grant Foster, that zoom session came after the North Dakota state game in like December. So uh, it's a little more difficult to peg, um, you know, what their thoughts are on the program. But listen, it, it makes sense. I mean, we've all seen situations like this in the past in Kansas where guys who are pretty talented come in, believe they're going to get minutes, believe they're going to have an increase in role. It doesn't happen. And then after a year or two, it, it seems pretty obvious that a change of scenery might just work for them. You know, I, I mean, Andrew White, uh, Alex Galindo, Quentin Grimes. I mean, Quentin Grimes is on the top of that list, you know, kind of the top tier of what we were talking about there. But, uh, I mean, we all sort of understand – 
kind of how this has worked in the past. So those guys do seem like candidates. They seem like obvious candidates based off of the playing time they got this year and kind of the, um, you know, what, what is thought about them. I mean, there are, I can tell you, I've talked to people, NBA people, there are thoughts about the NBA with Tristan Anaruno with the length he has. I mean, he's got a long way to go, but, but people love to dream on that type of physical potential. And, and Tom Grant Foster, again, he was top Juco guy in the nation uh, a couple years, or not a couple years, uh, one of the top two guys in the nation last year. So um, potentially he could look around and say, hey, especially with a one-time transfer rule, can I go find a place where I can be a, a primary scorer and, and go do the things I believe that I can do at Kansas? So those guys make sense. I mean, I, I can't speak for them, and who knows what decision they're going to make, but obviously those are two guys where you look at the big scheme of things and look how similar guys at Kansas in the past have treated this, and yeah, you would think that those would be candidates for transfer just based off of history and based off of the rules that they had, especially this past particular season. I got to ask you about him now because uh, Jeff Goodman reported earlier today that um, he's going to make a decision this weekend. You brought him up a couple of weeks ago. Tyson Walker. You've been sort of dropping little Easter eggs on Twitter for anybody who's looking. Tyson Walker, he is a sophomore, six-foot guard from Northeastern, defensive player of the year in the conference this past season, averaged about 19 a game. What do you know about this kid, and how do you think he would fit in with what Kansas is looking to add? Yeah, I think I'll start with this, Nick. Um, If people do follow me on Twitter and follow kind of most of what I do, I am not usually Mr. Recruiting Guy here, so... Mm -hmm. Um, let's get that out of the way first. Like I'm not usually Mr. Guy that uh, is going to come out here and and talk about, uh, you know, this player or that one, but, but you're right. March 13th, um, was when he first announced he was going to transfer. And I think I said at the time, keep an eye on this one, keep close tabs on this one. And, uh, again, I I have reason to believe that Kansas is very involved with him. Obviously he's a finalist on his list, but I've, I've reason to believe that Kansas, um, from the very beginning, this was a likely destination for Walker. So we'll see what happens. Obviously, things are crazy in recruiting. Um, that was more based off of information I had back then. Um, so we'll see. You know, I'm sure teams can try to wiggle their way in and, and do all sorts of things. But he makes a lot of sense for Kansas. I mean, the guy's the, the Colonial Athletic Player of the Year last year. If you watch his tape, he's a little bit, you know, six foot, six foot one, a little undersized, but. He's got that wiggle I talked about earlier. You know, he can play in a ball screen. He can get to the rim on his own. He has a nice little floater game. He can get all the way to the rim. He can shoot from three. He was the conference defensive player of the year. Again, you caveat all those things with it's a step up in level. We all understand that. The Colonial is not going to be as tough as the Big 12 is. But uh, that's the type of player that is what we were just talking about. You know, can he get his shoulders past the guy and create his own shot with eight on a shot clock? That makes Kansas better. Can he get around a ball screen, um, read it correctly, and throw a lot of David McCormick, get him an easy one? That makes KU better. Can he, uh, you know, have the vision to find a guy in the opposite corner when it's Ochai Abaji for a spot of three uh, when, when other teams are guarding the ball screen action and, and, and allowing that shot? Again, those are the sorts of things you get, potentially a guy who would be eligible immediately with the one-time transfer rule that's supposed to come about, and a guy that's played at the college level for two years. We know Bill Self sort of likes to have experience with his point guards. Um, it makes a lot of sense in a lot of ways for Kansas. So we'll see how it turns out. Again, um, you're right. I Early on, 10, 11 days ago, I was talking about this one and figuring, um, based off of what I'd heard, that, that Kansas would be a major player with this one. So 
Um, at this point, it seems like the fit would be good both ways. I know other schools and other major schools are pursuing him, but uh, Kansas definitely could be one that uh, would make a lot of sense for both player and team and could give KU a little bit of a boost next year if we're talking about them trying to improve their roster. Okay, hear me out on this one. What do you think the chances are that the starting backcourt, so that the two primary ball handlers, so to speak, or your primary and your secondary ball handler, what do you think the chances are that those two guys are not currently on KU's roster? Um, well, probably, probably not good, right? I mean, it, it's sort of weird to say primary ball handler because I, I think what you're trying to get at is KU wants to have two point guards on the floor at the same time. Yes. They'll always have some success with combo guards. Obviously, they're in on this Ty Ty Washington um, late in the process, too. Uh, so uh, you have to clear out more spots if you wanted him. But I think the problem I have here is the assumption of what they're coming, what they're going to have coming back and how that would relate. So I guess what I'm saying here is this. Is Oshai Abaji coming back? We don't know that. He might test the waters. I assume he's coming back. Okay. Christian Brown coming back. I mean, I would think so, you know. Yeah. Um, so you're, you're adding all this. Let's say they got Tyson Walker. And, again, you're saying two new ones in the starting line. So, so you've got now, um, if we're just assuming Tyson Walker, you've got Tyson Walker, Ochai Abaji. I guess you could not put Christian Brown in the starting lineup if you wanted to, but he started the whole year, um, and he's an experienced player. We know how Bill Self treats experienced players. And then, yeah, you've got – Dave McCormick probably to take up another spot, even though it's not in the backcourt. And then you got one left, and Jalen Wilson started most of the year. So I guess you're just running out of starting spots. And my reluctance would be, you know, John Calipari sometimes just over-recruits over guys and brings in five new studs and plays whoever he wants. But um, I, I think we are talking about a Kansas program that is going to return some guys that have been good and have been starters. So for two guys to come in and start game one – um, over the top of some other guys who have already started, I, I guess that would surprise me. But I, I would not – we understand Bill Self's comments. He wants to shake things up. I mean, that was pretty clear after the USC game. So I don't know how much of a shakeup that would entail. It might have to entail somebody leaving that all, obviously we wouldn't expect right now. But I would still lean towards KU having probably one new guy in that starting lineup and then the rest be a bunch of guys that – have started, have been around, and uh, have been the guys you would expect to contribute next year if they stick around the, the program. Well, I think the only the only question that I have is that first off, like I'm going into the off season, and you may disagree. I'm going into the off season, sort of expecting that by next year, if they go out and get a transfer, if they get her to come in and be your point guard, that I, I would I would put my money on Bryce Thompson being the guy next to him over Christian Brown. I just and and that would take that would need to we would need to see I think you know improvement over the off season but there's a part of me that just wonders if Christian Brown over the vast majority of this past season proved that he is perhaps better suited to um, a backup role than he is being a guy who plays thirty plus minutes a game. And that's a good point. Um, about having two newcomers come in, I didn't even mention Bryce Thompson, who very much could emerge and. Uh, beat out of the guy that still wouldn't be a new roster addition. No, it but, wouldn't, but that's, that was my other question was, it, it's more about the guys that are currently there than it is about who is out there available for the picking. Yeah, well, and, I mean, let, I guess this is 
this is honest radio here. I mean, I, I think Bill Self's got to hope Bryce Thompson gets better, right? I mean, I know the yeah. guy battled injuries, and that was something that, that kind of derailed his season, but, um, I mean, this was like probably a 10th percentile outcome for him, right? I mean, sure. there were expectations that he might start this year. So, you're right. I mean, kids in McDonald's on American, he has a great head on his shoulders. He made some good plays for KU late. Bill Self talked about when he got it back. He's going to be a major part of the rotation. He started some games late, but uh, KU didn't get out of him what they thought at the beginning. Um, the middle was obviously, you know, bad with injuries and stuff, and then definitely didn't get what they wanted out of him at the end. So you're right, and, and that's sort of what's tricky about this whole thing because we probably had a similar conversation in 2019 about what is Kansas going to do? And they just got killed by Auburn, and then they bring Devon Dotson and Yoko Azubuki back, who, again, Yudoka didn't play in that Auburn game. Devon did, but, you know, same two players coming back on the roster. How much can they improve? Quite a bit. KU was the best team called. So you need to kind of bake in some improvement for these guys, and I think Bryce Thompson probably has a bigger jump that he can take than most because just based off of what he was expected to be coming into the program and what KU actually got out of him last year, uh, yeah, potentially, if he's healthy and has another year, then, then he could have better things um, ahead for him, uh, at least based off of expectations and based off of what the program thought they were getting when they signed him last year. He's Jesse Newell, not a recruiting expert, but he plays one on the radio. Check out his other work in the Kansas City Star at KansasCity.com. Pleasure as always, man. Thanks for the time. You're going to roast me if I get this one wrong. I'll either be 0 for 1 or 1 for 1. So uh, <laughs> that's going to be my batting average for all time. Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports going to join the show coming up later this hour. But it's a Wednesday. It's the off season. It's still time for yet another NFL whip around, Derek. Cue the music. Let's go. Yeehaw! First up, if then, I give you the if, you tell me the then. The Chiefs seemed to be very close to signing Trent Williams. He ended up signing with the San Francisco 49ers for a new record deal for an offensive tackle. But according to a story that just came out, he was almost going to be a Kansas City Chiefs. So if the Chiefs would have signed Trent Williams, then? Then I would have far less concerns about their ability to get back to the Super Bowl this year. Because as of right now, I'm not really sure who your starting left tackle is going to be. Now, there is still an NFL draft. That's nice. Um, but you're not drafting at the beginning of it, of the first round where those potential day one starters are generally found. Maybe you can still get a starting left tackle, but it's an important position for every team. So it's not like guys are just going to fall and you're going to get this you know, left tackle of the future. Maybe. I don't know. Probably more of a project at the end of the first round. So... I'm a little concerned. You went out and got Joe Thune. That's great. You got Kyle Long. Those are both interior offensive linemen. Not nearly as important as getting the tackle position short up. So, not going to lie. A little bit concerned. I mean, you did what you had to do. You couldn't afford to keep paying Eric Fisher and Mitchell Schwartz and to go get the guys that you want to get. They were a little bit longer in the tooth and pretty expensive. So, it made sense to cut them. But now you got to find the replacement, and Trent Williams would have been a nice one. There's some talk right now that they're worse than they are last year, and I think when you look at the roster, it'd be hard to argue with that. If you would have signed Trent Williams, it's probably the opposite. We'd probably be talking about, oh, you're better off than you were, at least at the end of last year when you were in the playoffs and in the Super Bowl after the offensive line injuries. 
Uh, there is a guy visiting, though, today. He's not an offensive tackle. Hmm. He's a defensive end. They could use a pass rush as well. Melvin Ingram, former friend of the division with the Chargers. He's visiting today. If the Chiefs can land Melvin Ingram, then. First off, before I answer the question, how much money will Melvin Ingram command? Because he's been a very productive pass rusher, but he, what is he, 31, 32? Yeah, I don't know, maybe $10 million a year? That's a lot of cash. I'm not paying it. Well, I know you're not paying it, but... You're not paying it. I'm not worried about being broke. I'm worried about, is that where the money should be allocated? Well, at this point, free agency's a little dried up, so who are you going to give it to? Save it for later. I don't think that's how it works. You don't have to spend every I mean, you single kind dollar of do. you have. It's, it's a salary cap. It's Put not it like savings. it's not like if they save twenty million this year, they get to go over the cap. That would be year. actually that's a good idea to just enhance the NFL. Is you put it in, you can put it into like a savings account, so to speak. So you and could it have collects a team, interest. You could have a team who's just like we're going to field fifty three league minimum players for a year. Yeah, and, then and you, the next year you have double the salary. Exactly, and you can. That's a way you can g- get over the salary okay. cap. Like the Jacksonville Jaguars would have so much cash right now. So, uh, actually, I don't even know if it'd be $10 million. I'm looking at Melvin Ingram. Over the last three seasons, he played only seven games this year, 13 the year before, 16 the year before. He has 14 sacks over the last three seasons, part of it because he's been injured. Did make a Pro Bowl in 2018 and 2019, so he's still good. But because the stats and he hasn't been always on the field, maybe you can get him for a little cheaper. And maybe, you know, this, this is something we've said, and it hasn't worked out at all. But maybe there's finally a guy out there who's like, hey, I'll come play with Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs, have a chance to win a Super Bowl, maybe I'll take a little less fun. Yeah, that wouldn't shock me whatsoever. Yeah, he didn't have any sacks this past year because, like you said, he only played seven games. But he had seven sacks the year before that, seven sacks the year before that. He's had double-digit sacks twice in his career. But, yeah, you're right. He's 31 years old. Probably not the same guy he has been. But you did pay Frank Clark $20 million, and you paid – Chris Jones, $20 million. For me, I'm more so concerned about getting your money's worth from those dudes than I am going out and just throwing more money at that issue. Yeah, but you lost Alex Okafor in offseason. You lost Tano Passanio in the offseason. You need somebody else yeah, to play defensive yeah. end. So uh, with the pass rush that struggled, to me, it's like if they make this move, then All right, I I'm guess in. it helps a little. I'm in. Give the guy a blank check yeah. if that's what you want. Okay. Give him a blank check. So if they sign him, then they'll be poor again. <laughs> uh, if Washington keeps their team name as football team, then? um, Then I guess everybody will just leave him alone. That's it? That's all you have to say? What? This is like an actual thing. They might leave it. I think I, we kind of felt that right away. Did we? Yeah. It almost felt like to me it was just a middle finger like, oh, we'll change it. I don't hate it though. It's I, at least it's at least unique. I, I guess it's accurate. No, they'll but never it's like, be, they'll never get in trouble for it again. The reason we, no one's gonna be like you have yeah. to change that. The reason we think it's unique is just because it's so bland. It's like hiding under the bed in hide and seek. It's like it's almost too obvious. You know, maybe you do it because they won't check there. It's kind of got a soccer vibe to it, doesn't it? Yeah, that's what you don't like about it. No, what if they what if they were Washington Football Club? That would be way worse. Yeah. I would want them to change it. What were they thinking about changing it to? The Red Tails? Um, I think that'd be cool. Cause it's, I do, too. Yeah. Complete 180. Because I do like the color scheme. The color scheme is good. 
I've always said that. Like, red and yellow is tough to pull off. Iowa State looks like ketchup and mustard. But the Chiefs, you know, it's just that it's that Pantone. It's just a little bit different, whereas it's not red and yellow for Washington. It's more maroon and gold, which is a hell of a lot better than red and yellow. So I think keep the color scheme. So whether you... Because that, that's all we ever care about with teams. We make a big fuss about the mascots, but all we care about is their merch. Does it look cool? Do you like their colors? That's why the Browns always suck. Even when the Browns are good on the field, they suck because they're orange and brown. And that's objectively ugly. As long as they look aesthetically pleasing, I don't care what they call themselves. Honestly, I would rather them change the city than change from football team. Like, instead of changing the mascot from football team to whatever, the Red Tails or the Hawks or Eagles or whatever name you come up with, be D.C. I like that. Right? Because it's confusing. You're, you're not in the state of Washington. You know? I, I honestly think if you asked a random person who watches the NFL sort of on the streets, I bet you about 40 to 50% would think they're in the state of Washington. You think so? Not like a diehard football fan. Right. Yeah. The D.C., but... You can't be the D.C. Red Tails. That doesn't sound as good. No. The D.C. football team. What's the? Isn't there a D.C.? What is the D.C. hockey team? The D.C. defenders? No, it's Washington Capitals. They're Washington as well. Soccer, I mean. I don't know. Okay. If Andy Dalton starts every game for the Bears, then? Then Russell Wilson is still on the Seahawks. (laughs) Okay. What? Uh, that was very corollary. I'll go a step further. If Andy Dalton starts every game for the Bears, they're going to get a top five pick. Well, yeah, but that's that's less unique than mine. Everybody knows Andy Dalton. All you're saying is that Andy Dalton sucks. We already knew that. <laughs> what we don't know is if the Seahawks are actually going to have to trade Russell Wilson. If they do trade Russell Wilson. You don't Russell think there's Wilson, a world where they trade Russell Wilson to the Bears and Andy Dalton beats him out? What if? they You just sell the farm for Russell Wilson and you're like, oh, it's like, open. Sorry. Matt Nagy's like, it's an open competition, and you should see some of the throws that the Red Rockets have been making in practice, and he really commands the locker room, so we're going to give him the nod. I do think if Russell Wilson is traded, he's going to end up in Chicago. So if Andy Dalton starts every game for the Bears, that means that Russell Wilson is still in Seattle. But I'm sitting here today on March 24th with the belief that Russell Wilson will not be in Seattle in 2021. Are you? I think you will. Supposedly, the Bears made a big offer. Well, of course, Seattle's going to sit there and try and find a way to make it work. But if there's a power struggle between the head coach and the quarterback, then somebody's got to go. And as odd as it sounds, Seattle's one of the very few places where I feel like the head coach is going to win out. He seems so firmly entrenched in there. Despite the fact he's like the second oldest coach in the NFL, that would be such a no-brainer decision. But if push comes to shove, it kind of feels like Carroll's got the advantage in Seattle. Next up, are they good? Mention some of the Chiefs' offseason moves. They signed Joe Tooney. They signed Kyle Long. Brought back Daniel Sorensen, Daryl Williams, and a host of some other guys. Uh, you get LDT and Lucas Niang back after they opted out last year, and then you lose some players. Damian Williams signed with the Bears today. Who knows if guys like Sammy Watkins, Demarcus Robinson, Okafer, Passigno, or Breland, if any of those re-sign or if they go elsewhere as well. So, given all the moves that have occurred so far, is the Chiefs' offseason good? All things considered, yes. It's not like the ideal offseason, but 
there aren't a ton of moves out there that I wish they would have made that they couldn't make. Like, they made a move for Trent Williams. He just wanted to sign with the Niners. They made a big push for him. So, you don't really fault the Chiefs for that. Going out and getting Joe Thune, you you paid a lot for an interior lineman, but you need help on the line. And if that's the best you could get, I'm for it. You can't... You can't put yourself in a position where you say, well, there's nobody out there we love this year, so let's wait until next year. No, you have Mahomes in his prime. You need to capitalize on that. So you go after one of the best interior linemen. That helps. Getting LDT and Lucas Niang back, that helps. LDT immediately going to compete for a starting job, probably going to win a starting job. Who knows what he's going to look like. Lucas Niang, you know, he's a big boy from TCU, didn't play last year, so maybe he won't factor into the mix, but... At the very least, it's more competition and a big body on the line. I love that description, by the way, of an offensive lineman. Big boy, you know? Well, no, he is. I mean, he he is. He's even big for... uh, Oh, okay. Even for a lineman, he's big. Have you seen his... You know what his measurables are? No, I just assume it's big. He's 6'6", 320. Oh, that is a big boy. Yeah, so he's bigger than most offensive linemen. Like, he's bigger than Eric Fisher. If he ends up winning, God forbid... I just don't feel like it would be great if you have a, a rookie starting at the left tackle, but that may be the barrel you're staring down. He's bigger than Eric Fisher, right? He's bigger than Mitchell Schwartz, so don't try to make fun of me for calling him a big boy. He's big even by offensive lineman standards. I just don't know what else you were supposed to do. Like, would it have been great to have Sammy Watkins back? Yes, but you can't afford him. Great route runner, opens up things for the rest of the offense, but we kind of knew all along that was going to be his last year in Kansas City. So there's nobody that either left or that I wish they would have had that they didn't make a push for that they didn't. So, yeah, I'd say all things considered, it was a good offseason. Yeah. Um, Has been. I, I get what you're season. saying that, you know, what else could they have done? And I do agree with that. Like, Trent Williams, okay, like, it looks like you had a really good offer and he just barely got beat by it. Same with Juju Smith-Schuster. Like, you would have upgraded your number two wide receiver. You offered him more money. Then he took to go to the Steelers to play with a worse quarterback. You know, what are you going to do about that? There's nothing you can do. So I do get that. But overall, if you were to say, are the Chiefs better or worse than when the offseason started? Or like before the offseason started, when you lost some players, eh, they're probably worse. So yeah, if I don't... you want to say it's not a good offseason, yeah. that's fine. Even it's if you're saying fault. it's not right. really anything they could do. And who knows? You know, maybe you have a good draft, hit the home run there. Maybe you sign a couple of these low-run guys and it changes things. Uh, the Bucks' chances of repeating. They've basically done what the Chiefs did last year. Basically brought everybody back. The latest today in Dominican Sioux going back to the team. So do the Bucks have a good chance of repeating? I wouldn't say anybody has a good chance of repeating because it's hard to win the Super Bowl. So, um, no. I mean, they have as good of a chance as any other team who's won the title. Like, what do you think of the Chiefs' chances? They brought literally everybody back. What do you think of their chances of repeating? Really good. All season long, they showed they gave you no reason to not think they were going to perhaps repeat. And they got to the Super Bowl, and then they lost. So, no, I wouldn't say their chances are good, but they're as good as they could be given their situation. How's that? Agreed. Uh, the Giants, they signed Kenny Galladay. Get a uh, another big receiver for Daniel Jones. I don't that's know why it. I said another, but that's it. That's So that's all they've done. But are they good? Are they good now that they have I Kenny they Galladay? they re-signed Leonard Williams, too. Kenny Galladay is a very, very, very good receiver. He was kind of plagued by injuries this past season, but it's a huge upgrade and gives them a, an explosive weapon in that receiver core. But no, that's not enough for me to think that they're a good team. Not even close. Best in the division? Question mark. No, the Cowboys are still better, right? What do you mean still better? Well, they were better when Dak was healthy. Were they? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. 
Um, Washington made some nice little splashy moves. Seven and nine. Washington got Curtis Samuel. Yeah. They Ryan got Patrick. Ryan Fitzpatrick. Doing anything for you? That's eight wins. Is it? Yes. Okay. Absolutely. And they got one of the most exciting young pass rush units in the league. That's important. Those guys are going to be going after Daniel Jones all year. Who's the fourth team we're leaving out? The Eagles. We don't need to talk about them. They're going to be really bad. Yeah, the Eagles are going to be bad, but it's still a three-horse race in the NFC East, so I'm not willing to say that definitively the Giants are the best of the bunch. And I'm certainly not willing to say that they're even good. Agreed. Better than Kirk Cousins. Joe Flacco just signed with the Eagles. I know Joe Flacco is not better than Kirk Cousins, but Joe Flacco at his peak, is that better than Kirk Cousins? Well, how long does a peak need to be? Because if it's if we're just talking about the 2013 no, Super Bowl. No, that's be more than a collection of like four games. So it can't just be that postseason. It's got to be like full season. So if you want to count that whole season with the postseason, I'll give you that. Well, if you're giving me that full season, which would have been, yeah, 2013. Okay. Way off. 2012. I guess the Super Bowl would have been in 2013, but it was the 2012 season. Let's look at his numbers. He had 22 touchdowns, 10 interceptions in the regular season. So in 16 games, he had 22 and 10. Not good. In four postseason games, he had 11 and 0. That helps. 33 (laughs) and 10 makes it look better. Yeah, that peak is better than Kirk Cousins is right now. Just because of the playoff part. Yeah, of course, but that's a big part. If I took out one of those playoffs. No, you can't do that. He won the Super Bowl. <laughs> you can't do that at all. So peak Joe Flacco is better than. Derek, Kirk that Cousins. is one of the best postseason runs for quarterbacks ever had. So it makes it tough. All right, you can't use the postseason. Well, dude, quit with the caveats. <laughs> this is good enough. I have made a strong argument for Joe Flacco's peak being better than Kirk Cousins right now, and I'm not going to be talked off that. Patriots signed some new weapons for their quarterback, and the quarterback is going to be Cam Newton again. So Cam Newton this year with better weapons, is he going to be better than Kirk Cousins? Which weapons? Uh, John U. Smith. Give him a lot of money. Mm. Nelson Aguilar. Okay. So is John U. Smith enough for me to think that Cam Newton's going to be great now? Kendrick Bourne? Kendrick Bourne's nice. Do the Patriots have any receiver? Who I feel like the Patriots have like five receivers who are like number threes on normal teams. Uh-huh. They're just like quantity over quality. If, if, man. <laughs> you know they could use? Speaking of tight ends, Kyle Pitts. See that guy ran like a 4-3, 4-4-40 tight end? It's like 6-6. Six, six. He's like Vernon Davis plus four inches. I get scared with tight ends. We, we overhype tight ends, yeah. We overhype tight ends a lot, and then all of a sudden it's just, remember Eric Ebron? Remember we thought Eric Ebron was going to be the truth? Never panned out. TJ Hawkinson, we'll see. I mean, do you want... I have a list of um, some tight ends drafted in the first round. No, because it has nothing years. to do with the conversation it that does, we're though. having. Hawkinson, um, Fant, Hurst, Howard, Ingram, Njoku, Ebron, Eifert, Gresham, Pettigrew, Kepler, and then Olsen and Davis. That's a lot not of, a good list. That's a lot of underwhelming tight yeah. ends. So you're saying to stay away from Kyle Pitts? I don't know. He's different. He's basically like a receiver. Six, six tight end. Yeah. yeah. Massive. Um, so the Patriots should go get him. He's basically like Cam Newton. If Cam Newton <laughs> played tight end. Oh, what if they're just going to move Cam Newton to tight end? That's draft perfect. The quarterback. That is actually perfect. Okay, we figured it out. So there you go. Yes, 
He's not better because he has more weapons around him. He's better because now he is one of those weapons. Love it. Um, Andy Dalton, if he could run a 4-3, would he be better than Kirk Cousins? Well, if he would, if he could run a 4-3, that would put him as the second fastest Yeah. behind Lamar. I don't know. What did Lamar run? I thought he was like maybe 4-4. Four, four. Probably high 4-3s. It might make him what the about, fastest. What about Kyler? I think he was around 4-4 four, four as well. He didn't run... A forty-yard dash at the combine, but he reportedly ran a four-three-four forty. Okay, four-three flat from Andy Dalton, so he is now the fastest quarterback in the NFL. Does he have shiftiness, or is it just straight line speed? Straight line speed. That's like Daniel Jones, <laughs> except a little faster. Yeah. So I don't think that's enough. If you're not shifty, if you can't. But juke- I think Andy Dalton is a more accurate passer than Daniel Jones. So it's like beefed up Daniel Jones and even faster all we're asking straight line. Here, all we're asking here is 4-3. We're not asking if it would be good. We're just asking if it would be better than Kirk Cousins. He has that skill now. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. 4-3 <laughs> flat 40. I mean, it opens up your playbook. I mean, if you would just say right now, that would probably account for at least six rushing touchdowns. And then I would say... 15-plus explosive plays, even if they don't go for touchdowns. You're talking about 20 or 30-yard runs. He's probably rushing for 800 yards. Oh, yeah. And no question. Now that I talk it out, way better. Way better. I'm, I'm like, trying to envision the video of Andy Dalton just, like, running away from safeties. All of a sudden, he's this highlight machine. People are sharing the videos on YouTube. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Last one. (laughs) Who is older on Who's Older This Week? First up, this is all going to be free agency edition. I should probably mention that. So these are players who are still currently free agents. Defensive end, Jadavion Clowney, or wide receiver, T.Y. Hilton. T.Y. Hilton, not a free agent. Adam Schefter announced earlier that he is re-signing with the Colts. So this entire segment is useless now. Uh, Who was the first guy? Jadavion Clowney. I'm going to say... T.Y. Hilton is older. T.Y.'s 31, Jadavion 28. Offensive tackle, Mitchell Schwartz, or cornerback, Richard Sherman. Schwartz is like 32, 31, 32, I want to say. Uh, Sherman, been around for a while. I mean, he was on that 2014 Seahawks team. So he's probably 22 then. So I'm going to say Schwartz. Sherman's 33, Schwartz is 32. Mm. Defensive end, Justin Houston, or defensive end, Aldon Smith? Alden. Alden? Aldon Smith. I'm spelled with an O. I will say Justin Houston. Houston's 32, Smith is 31. Wide receiver, Sammy Watkins, or nose tackle, Daquan Jones. Sammy Watkins is 27. Don't know who Daquan Jones is. I'm going to say Daquan Jones. Daquan Jones, 29. Sammy's, 28. Oh, I was wrong. Cordero Patterson or Bashad Breland? Cordero Patterson. Four and one. Let's go. Just off the gut. All right, last segment. Where he at? Former 49ers quarterback C.J. Beathard just signed a new deal today. Where he at? Jacksonville! Bing, bing, bing! Let's go! It pays to do nothing and stare at Twitter all morning. 
That is your NFL Whip Around, and this is Rock Chuck Sports Talk. It's been such a weird season for Baylor that early in the season we expected them to be great. They were great. That's when the Gonzaga and Baylor versus the field talk began. Then you had the COVID setback. Didn't look the same once they came back from that shutdown. And then the NCAA tournament started, and all of a sudden, kind of starting to look like Baylor again. Kevin Flaherty, 24-7 Sports, joins us now on the show. I know we knew Baylor was good, but there were some concerns about the way they looked heading into the season. Kevin, are you... Surprised at all with how good they looked in the first weekend? Uh, not 100% surprised, but a, a little surprised. And the reason I say that is I, I think we all thought there was a chance with a week you know, to practice before heading into the NCAA tournament that, that Baylor would have a chance to get its timing right on its rotations and, and things like that because that was the biggest problem. And I think you know we, we've all talked about it. It's not that... Baylor didn't have the players to defend well because obviously they had like a top five defense over the first 17 games of the season before they went on their pause. It was that when they came back, you know, they, their rotations weren't as crisp. Their timing was off uh, against Oklahoma state, you know, as, as Kansas kind of found out the hard way in the first matchup against Oklahoma state, if your transition defense isn't uh isn't what it needs to be and you don't have the right guys, you know, dropping back, et cetera, you can really get hurt. And that happened uh, in their big 12 loss against Oklahoma state. And so on one hand, you felt like, well, there's a chance with this extra practice time that, that they really work on that and the timing comes back. And at the same time, I, I think you always felt like, well, is that something they could fix that quickly? But Baylor certainly appeared to to do that. I mean, the the timing was really good in, in the opener against Hampton, and then when you look at uh, look at the way that Baylor played defensively against Wisconsin, you know, it, it was significantly better as well. I wonder now if if Baylor is back to that level of saying, like, are we back to the point with Illinois being gone now? That had sort of taken the place of the ideal championship matchup are we back to square one with just wanting to see Gonzaga and Baylor in the title game again you know I wouldn't mind seeing that game but I I think that Gonzaga has really not just used that period but kind of the whole season really to separate from the field and so you know you look at different teams in the field and and even even in that region where where you look at you know none of the top four seeds are are still there anymore with the exception of Gonzaga, but it's like you can see little scenarios right if Creighton makes shots and Marcus Zagorowski plays the best that he can possibly play you know maybe Creighton has a night USC you know would would need to shoot the way that it did against Kansas probably but USC's length you know potentially gives it sort of that that puncher's chance. Oregon can really score, and and maybe there's just the chance that, you know, Oregon wins a, a 97 to 95 type of game. And I think that even with some of the better teams in the field, you're almost kind of hunting for a scenario where Gonzaga could lose on that given night. But I don't think there's any team in the field, including Baylor, that you could look at and feel with reasonable certainty, okay, if they play 10 times, this team's going to win five of them. I just don't think that there's another team that's 
that's Gonzaga is equal. Now, the good thing for those other teams is that's not how the NCAA tournament works. All you need is for sort of that one outlier game to, to happen, and you can move on, and Gonzaga is headed home. But I think when you look at the comparison of Gonzaga against the field, the gap between Gonzaga and the rest of the teams in the field is probably even larger, and on uh, on Kempom it is significantly larger than it was last year between Kansas in the field. And, and all of us certainly remember how much everybody talked about the big gap between Kansas and everybody else and basically how this was Bill Self's best chance to win a national title. Not that it was his best team, but that it was the biggest gap between Kansas being the number one team and everybody else sort of, you know, looking at scenarios where, hey, if if we do this right, maybe we could beat Kansas on a given night. How does this conversation surrounding Gonzaga and how unbeatable they look, how does it feel different than the last time we did it, which I guess would have been 2015 with that Kentucky team? You know, I I think if we're being honest, I I think that Kentucky team probably was unbeatable if they were handled right. And I, I think that, that's that's something that, you know, John Calipari is probably about to call into your show right now. But uh, I think, you know, even in the moment, you felt like, well, Kentucky's probably too gifted for anybody to beat. But at the same time, people were talking during that season even that, that the hockey line changes, you know, weren't the best and, and that there were certain times where, you know, they they really weren't, you know, quite as good as maybe they could have been because of the way that the lineup shook out. I mean, when you look at it now and, and look back and say, okay, they had 6'10", Trey Lyles, you know, playing as the small forward instead of Devin Booker when, when they had issues with shooting, you know, overall as a team, you know, it, it just – it makes you throw throw your hands up in the air. And the very next year, you know, after the Harrison Twins left, you know, Tyler Eulis is maybe the second or third best player in the entire country. And so uh, I think that that Kentucky team, when you look at them just as a roster and everything else, you could say the same things that, that you would about Gonzaga, and you'd be right to, because I think that there are scenarios where that Kentucky team would have run the table pretty pretty easily probably but the way that that they were handled the way that they were set up the way that the personnel was managed uh i I think was ultimately the downfall there and wisconsin was able to take you know take advantage of some matchups with gonzaga the big thing is gonzaga i know that they have a a really good you know they're really efficient defensively in, in terms of what their rating is but I think you can get your shots against Gonzaga for the most part. I, I think you can get a lot of, of what you want to do. They're not necessarily the sort of team that's, that's going to take that away. The problem is that Gonzaga never has a bad possession offensively, it feels like. They just always seem to get the shot that they want. And so, you know, you get the shots you want, you miss two, and maybe Jalen Suggs gets a steal. And you look up the scoreboard, and a six-point game is a 12-point game, and it feels insurmountable. Talking to Kevin Flaherty, 24-7 sports here on Rock Chuck Sports Talk. Which Sweet 16 matchup are you most excited to watch, or if there's a couple that stand out to you? 
Ooh, that's tough. I, I think Gonzaga Creighton is going to be a lot of fun, um, and, and I think that a lot depends on on how Creighton shoots. You know, they've been a little more up and down that in that regard this year than I think a lot of us would have thought, especially with them returning Zagorowski and Balak. But I think that even more than the scoreline necessarily, that game is going to be really fun because it's going to be you know super up and down and and it's going to uh, going to be a pretty free flowing game. The one of the interesting matchups I think, and they already played this year, uh, is USC and Oregon. And the reason why is, you know, in that game USC came out and kind of jumped all over Oregon and and wound up winning by 14 points. Well, Oregon was bringing Eric Williams off the bench, and, and he played fairly well off the bench in that game. And the very next game, Oregon moved him into a starting lineup. They stopped trying to play tall uh, and play Lawson at the five, you know, as much. And so they decided to just go all in behind the sort of spread and small ball. And they've won seven of eight games since. And so it's not really the same matchup as it was before. And you have another team that that kind of excels at at spreading teams out and, cre- and creating matchup problems against the USC team that obviously its biggest strength is is length and it's it's just taller than than just about anybody else and so that's one of the more interesting stylistic ones I think uh, I think UCLA is playing really really well right now and watching UCLA against Alabama, I think could be could be fun. I, I think the best game, though, perhaps could be that Michigan Florida State game. I just wish Isaiah Livers was healthy to play in it. Yeah, the Florida State Florida State's the team to me that I feel like has nobody like nobody's really talked about, and and that program has been so quietly consistent under Lim, Leonard Hamilton. They maybe not sort of pushed through that that ceiling so to speak but I mean it's year after year I feel like they're hanging around in the second week and yet year after year they're kind of the team that sort of gets lost in the shuffle well and this is a team that's a little different than what they've had in the past in that you know you always think of Florida State being you know super long and great defensively and this team is super long and great offensively you know they haven't had a great defense for whatever reason this year and their strength is much more on the other side and they shoot well as a team, but it's, it's kind of interesting because the top two teams in Ken Palm's average height, you know, which looks at a team's average height and kind of breaks down the minutes played by that height, et cetera. The top two teams, this country were or in the country this year were Florida state at one and USC at two. And obviously both of them are, are still playing basketball. I question a little bit with this Florida State team because they've been inconsistent defensively this year. Is it the sort of thing where they're locking in at the right time? Because if they do, you know they're going to be awfully tough because they are going to score. But I I do wonder a little bit when they go up against some of the better teams, like potentially a Michigan team, even without Isaiah Livers if that defense is going to come back to haunt them a little bit. But I almost feel like that's that's been one of the things that's, that's hurt them from a perception standpoint has been when people have started to climb in the boat with Florida State a, a few times this year, 
they've lost the game where their defense just hasn't been quite as good as it has been in years past. Is Loyola Chicago good enough to make it back to the Final Four? They're definitely good enough. They're better than the Loyola Chicago team from 2018 that made it to the Final Four. They're better offensively, and they're significantly better defensively. The the interesting thing with Loyola Chicago is just the way that they defend it is so unique, you know, compared to other teams, and it's something that they really, you know, focus and pride themselves on. It, and so it's even if you're a team that's really talented, like you know, an Illinois team that definitely has more NBA guys than what Loyola Chicago has. Loyola is so set and understands its rotations and help and where everybody needs to be better than you do. And so I think you you saw a lot of that hurt them. And then, too, there were some personnel things against Illinois where, you know, Kofi Coburn was maybe the worst passing big man in the entire field. And so – Loyola Chicago doesn't usually, you know, double and triple team big men, but they could do it with impunity on on Coburn because you knew that ball wasn't coming out, and you definitely knew that he wasn't going to look around, you know, find somebody and whip a a pass across the uh, across the court to an open shooter. That just wasn't who he was, and in the way that they attacked Kofi Coburn coming off of screens and things like that. With Cobra or not Cobra and uh, Io Desumu, you know it, it was it was impressive because there were things that they did defensively in that game that they don't typically do, but they were able to alter their scheme basically for what Illinois showed them, and obviously that's that's something that you look at is just tremendous coaching. Houston Loyola Chicago that that'd be a pretty fun Elite Eight matchup. I mean, it'd certainly be better than Oregon State Syracuse even though that's, I guess, kind of running a monopoly on the Oranges teams left in the tournament. But Loyola-Houston, not a marquee matchup, but wouldn't that be a fun one? Yeah, I mean, I you would uh, buckets would be very hard to come by on both teams. And I think for, for basketball purists and people who like watching games, you know, no matter if it's a high-scoring affair or a defensive affair, would really get into that one because both of them would be extremely well-coached. Uh, both of them very tough to score on. Both of them have a lot of, you know, sort of that scrap and metal to them. Uh, I, I think Houston's a little bit, actually, maybe even quite a bit better offensively, but Loyola Chicago is better defensively, and so it, it would make for a really, a really fun game to watch. Probably a really close game, but one that uh, one that points are really hard to come by. Kevin Flaherty with us here for a few more minutes on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Kevin, what do you think the chances are Kansas is better next season than they were this year? You know, I actually think they're fairly good. And I saw you ask the question on Twitter, so I was kind of hoping that that this would come up. You know, I think that one of the things that we have a tendency to do when we look at teams from year to year is that we tend to lock guys in at the level that they currently play at, right? Like you, you look at it and you say, well, you know, if if DeWan Harris plays point guard, then there's not really much of a shooter at point guard again this year, and that's a problem. But he's got an off season to to work on his shot, and well, I think you typically see the biggest gain with players 
between their first and second seasons and also within that framework between their first and second seasons of playing. So I think you're going to see a gain from somebody like a Jethro Muscadine because he's going from year one to year two. But even beyond that, I think you're going to see a year's gain from Jalen Wilson, you know, because this was really his first year playing. You're going to see a year's gain from Dewan Harris because this was his first year playing and seeing the court at coming off of a redshirt year. And so I do think that when you project guys forward and you look at one of the things that I like to do when trying to track improvement is look at where guys were when they were at their best and basically say, you know, you don't usually have somebody who's not very good become a superstar. But what you can have a lot of times is somebody who has had some strong performances, like, say, a Christian Brown. Maybe they become that player more often the next year. And so I think when you look up and down the roster, you know, depending on who goes, obviously, I think they're going to look for an impact guard, whether that's you know, somebody they're able to land in recruiting, whether that's somebody that they bring in through transfer or both. Uh, but but generally speaking, I, I think you're going to see improvement across the roster too. And then I like some of the guys that are, that are already coming in in the recruiting class. I think they fill some needs. I think one of the things that we all saw when we watched this year was that there was a significant drop-off between David McCormick and what happened when he had to leave the game in terms of having another true center out there. Uh, and when you look at what Sidney Curry brings from a body standpoint, from you know a toughness and athleticism standpoint, I'm not saying that he's necessarily going to be a star or anything like that, but having that second guy, I don't think people realize – or really thought about it in these terms, Kansas was supposed to have Sylvia DeSosa this year. Mm-hmm. And so the the difference when you look at the, the Eastern Washington game in particular, right? Like they the Groves get kind of feasted when David McCormick was not in there. And not that he was bad when McCormick was in, but he really feasted when McCormick wasn't there to body him up. Well, if you're rolling McCormick out and Sylvia DeSosa is going back out there, that's not nearly as, as big of an issue. And so I think they have more body types like that. I think KJ Adams brings another, you know, you know, sort of thick guy to, to play the four if they need to need to go that way. You know, Zach Clements is a guy that can, that can really shoot the ball, you know, as an, as a perimeter guy from the outside. And, and I think the other guy that I look at it and kind of circle it and you hope he sticks around from an ability standpoint is somebody like Tyon Grant Foster, because when Bill Self made his comments after the game where he said that Kansas needed to get longer and more athletic to compete for national titles, I think Tyron Grant Foster is one of the guys that you can look at on the roster and, and kind of say, well, okay, if this guy played, then Kansas would be, you know, longer and more athletic. And so with a year to, to learn the system, to learn what works, what doesn't, through the program and work on your game and everything, perhaps he's somebody that could plug in and play an impact next year that that didn't really do that as much this year. Okay, so you mentioned a lot of guys there, but before I let you go, and we can we're probably going to talk more about this across the off season, but if you were to peg one guy that you would most closely link KU's, you know, 
perspective, taking a step forward next year to his individual development? Like, who's that guy who you think has sort of the biggest offseason ahead? You know, it's funny because I didn't even mention him. I, I think DeWan Harris is going to make a leap, but I think Bryce Thompson is the guy that can maybe take Kansas that extra step because I saw Bryce Thompson in high school and Bryce Thompson shot the ball very well in high school and it didn't come out, you know, as flat as his shot is this year. I, I think it was tough to, to kind of tweak things within the season and everything. And so it wouldn't surprise me at all to see Brian go in with his work ethic, with his ability. We saw him do some things athletically this year that, that Kansas didn't necessarily have other wings do in terms of his fluidity and quickness as an athlete. And I think when you add in, you know, okay, this kid's probably going to work on the shot. Thompson's probably going to shoot a little better next year. Uh, I think he's somebody that you can almost circle and say, okay, if Harris steps into the lineup and Thompson is able to come in and improve and be a starter himself, like a lot of us thought that he might do, Coming into the season, I think that that version of Bryce Thompson is somebody that could push Kansas back to another Big 12 title and kind of have Kansas where it wants to be from a national perspective as well. He's Kevin Flaherty. You can check out all of his work at 247sports.com. As always, man, thank you for the time. Thanks a lot, Nick. Could your business use a little push right now? Need help getting the word out there that you're hiring? Do you just want to let people know how great of a product you have? Well, you can advertise with Rock Chalk Sports Talk and or the Best of RCST podcast. For more information, contact D Johnson at gpmnow.com. That's D Johnson at gpmnow.com. Maybe we'll talk more about this the rest of the week, but do you agree with Kevin? Is Bryce Thompson the one guy you look at? and would most directly link his individual growth to Kansas's growth as a team next year. He's he's an obvious candidate because he is the highest-ranked kid on the roster. Therefore, you would like to assume he has the highest ceiling. And he's probably one of the rawest players on the roster. Like We didn't see anything close to what I think a lot of us expect him to be capable of. Yeah, there's a big jump to be had. It's not going from, oh, can he average 15 points per game instead of 13, you know? Um, so, yes, I do think that is the answer. And, like, I, I brought up the comparison yesterday of the 2016 team, which they were coming off a second-round loss as well where it wasn't this bad, but, I mean, they were never in that game against Wichita State um, in 2015. And then 2016 – they ended up becoming the number one overall seed in the NCAA tournament moments away from maybe getting past Villanova in the Elite Eight, and who knows if they would have won a title from there. That was pretty much all internal growth. Yes, you did like bring in Sheck Diallo, but he didn't really contribute yeah. to your success there. Um, and the biggest jump that I can think of on that team, like sure, Frank Mason made, I don't know, Frank Mason was about the same sophomore to junior year, so he didn't really make a jump. Devontae Graham made a jump from freshman to sophomore year, but he was a good player. Wasn't an all-conference player. We saw it coming with Devontae, though, right? He right. played so well in the NCAA tournament, we thought, okay, that's a the, nice sign. The big jump came from Wayne Selden. Wayne Selden went from, whatever, nine points per game as a freshman, nine points per game as a sophomore, to then being a 15-point-per-game scorer who was a really good three-point shooter who became a solid defender for you on the wing. That was the guy who was the former five-star recruit who 
hadn't necessarily lived up to the billing his first two years, and then it came together that next year. Internal growth. That is who I circle for KU. I think Bryce Thompson is kind of the Wayne Seldon in that situation. Yeah, Christian Brown was a guy we talked about, or I talked about a lot last offseason, a guy that I expected to make a big jump from his freshman to sophomore year. And I don't think it happened. The volume increased and the efficiency went down so much, way more than I expected it to. And by the end of the season, go back and look at the game against USC on Monday. Looked like a guy whose confidence was completely erased, which is not something I ever would have expected with him. And I hate to say this, but... Christian kind of looked like the 130th ranked player coming out of high school this year. A guy who maybe wasn't ever really expected to be uh, a 30-plus minute per game and double-digit score for your team. And heading into next year, like he's the, the number one guy I would circle and say most in danger of losing his starting job or most in danger of seeing his role decrease. Mostly because... I expect Bryce Thompson to challenge him a lot more for playing time and for a bigger role on next year's team. And that's without even knowing what else you add. I mean, if you go add a Tyson Walker from Northeastern, who I would think right away comes in, boom, he's your starting point guard. We know Bill Self likes to have multiple ball handlers on the court. You would have a lot of competition there between three guys who we know are going to play between Dwan Harris, Christian Brown, Marcus, or not Marcus, Bryce Thompson, but I think a lot of that would come down to, okay, who is going to pair best with the other point guard we have? And you would look for another ball handler. And immediately, Dwan Harris and Bryce Thompson have an advantage over Christian Brown because you don't think of him as being a ball handler. You think of him as being a guy who's a pretty good defensive rebounder, and he's a pretty solid shooter, albeit inconsistent and hesitant at times. Never had to worry about hesitancy with Bryce Thompson, and Dewan does so many other things for you from just a point guard ball handler standpoint. We know he's going to have a role no matter what. I think that is an ideal scenario of just having competition and depth at that position that you did not have this year. What do we always say? Guards win in March, right? Um, and I'm not saying they'd be as good as, as Baylor guards. You, you can't um, expect that because that's got... I don't know, an All-American, another guy who's a near All-American, two first-round picks, another guy who's a stud. But the beauty of what Baylor has is they've got those three guards with Teague, Butler, and uh, Mitchell, and you still have guys off the bench. Like Adam Flagler, if he was starting for a lot of other teams, he might be averaging 15, 20 points per game. He gets to come off the bench. So there is a lot that you can gain from having firepower off the bench. And right now there are both questions to – what would the bench look like, but also what would the starter look like? We said yesterday they need that guy who can be like their number one as the point guard. They need that, but the beauty of having that is it slides those other guys down. First things first, we got to figure out who's going to be on the team. I would bet you by the end of the week there are going to be announcements of departures, of guys transferring. I guess there's some some guys who could maybe make the leap to the NBA. I don't expect anybody that's currently in the rotation or that played a significant role to leave, but... Certainly multiple will test. Yeah, I would think so. I mean, Ochai's probably going to. Jalen might. Dave might. I would expect all three of them to be back, but uh, crazier things have certainly happened. He's Derek Johnson. I'm Nick Schwartz. Two hours down, one to go. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk.